Welcome to Episode 7 of Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I'm your host. Our subject is discernment, and our aim is to teach, to elevate your minds and to exalt your courage, to accelerate and animate your industry and activity, and to excite in you an ambition to excel in every capacity, faculty, and virtue. Our mission is to inspire young men and women, and their parents, to understand the present in order to prepare for the future, a task that necessarily demands a proper interpretation of the past. Our aim is to highlight the antithesis between the way of the Lord and the ways of the world, between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of men, so that we might reflect the light of life in a culture of death. Remember, if you have any questions about anything we discuss on this program, we would invite you to send your inquiries to questions at icebergsnotsnowflakes.com. If you're curious how we selected that URL, you might enjoy episodes 5 and 6. Suffice it to say, while we aim to always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks us to give a reason for the hope that we have, and while we must always do this with gentleness and respect, 1 Peter 3.15, we do not suffer fools, nor do we conform our thinking to the patterns of this world, nor do we rest upon the world's premises. Our foundation is the Word of God, the one through whom all things were made and without whom nothing was made that has been made, John 1.1. 1, 1. And we are unapologetic about this. Consequently, our students, because they are rooted in the Word of God, can withstand the heat of all manner of attacks against their positions without losing the integrity of their condition or the courage of their convictions. Snowflakes, on the other hand, may sparkle when left undisturbed, but they are no match for the titanic challenges of reality. And today I have a little sound effect for our audience. Sounds like ice in a glass. And it actually is. But what our listeners can't see is we have props. It looks like a little ice battleship, if you're familiar with the game Battleship. It is a Titanic. And then we have an ice iceberg. So these are props to remind us that we are icebergs, not snowflakes. All right, in episode six, we introduced the topic of pretending and its consequences. We distinguished between the natural, necessary, and proper kind of pretending, such as emulating ones we admire as preparation for becoming like or even surpassing the success of those who have lived before us, versus the not-so-good kind of pretending, like pretending as a means to avoiding or believing one can actually change reality. The consequences of that kind of pretending puts you your friends, your neighbors, and even the nation in danger. The Word of God is very clear concerning the obligation of believers as it pertains to discerning among the various pretensions of our day. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When we return, I'm going to invite our students to apply this scripture passage to our times and to organize their thoughts about how this scripture should be used to assist them in interpreting their experiences. You are listening to Jesus and the Meteorologist. There are citizens in Tennessee working to reclaim the practice of self-governance in our state and ensure that a constitutional, Republican form of government is preserved to future generations. We are Tennessee Stands. Do you want to get off the sidelines and learn how to stand for liberty in your community? Join us at TennesseeStands.org 
and on social media at Tennessee Stands. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologists, a weekly squidget devoted to the topic of discernment. I am your host, Kevin Kukaji. As a refresher for the curious, the title of our program draws its inspiration from the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, where Jesus rebukes his accusers for their unbelief, calling them hypocrites for depending on God's revelation to predict the weather, while ignoring God's revelation to interpret the signs of the times. You can hear more about that in some of our prior episodes, in particular episodes 1, 2, and 3. Today in the studio, though, we are rejoined by last week's icebergs by the name of... Alex, Hogan, and Roger. Alex, Hogan, and Roger, or Roger, Hogan, and Alex in reverse order. Roger, can't, Roger's I can't go to first. My, no, Roger's <laughs> to my left. Yeah, Hogan's I, in the middle where he always in a row sits. That I got last. And Alex is to my right. First shall be last, last shall be first. There we go. Gentlemen, let's enter the Offices of Hypothesis. All right, our hypothesis is a repeat. This is a first. Again, as in last week, pretending has consequences. So, unless you've had a change of heart, anyone had a change of heart from last week? I believe everyone here was in agreement with this hypothesis. True? True. 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 So let me now elevate your minds by asking you to consider and comment upon the passage I read earlier from 2 Corinthians 10, 5, where Paul advises that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Alex, what are some pretensions that set themselves up against knowledge of God in our day? Today, a lot of people pretend that they can get fulfillment from things other than God, like be it drugs, money, entertainment, whatever. They pretend that they can go to other places to get fulfillment and they believe that they can actually get that fulfillment when the only place they can truly be fulfilled is in God. So have you ever encountered a person who says, I find full fulfillment in my life without God? Uh, yes, I believe so, but I can't put a name to that person at this moment, but I'm sure I have. Sure. And, and it doesn't have to be someone you know personally. You've heard it probably on television and media, mm-hmm. social media, right? I'm going to circle back around to that because I have a, I have a follow-up. But Hogan or Roger, what are some of the pretensions that set themselves up against knowledge of God? I would say um, homosexuality and transgenderism. So the approval of homosexuality and transgenderism as if they are if they are no different, if there's no distinction between homosexuality and heterosexuality. Um, in fact, perhaps the pretension is that homosexuality is superior to heterosexuality because um, that seems to be the direction we're going today, which is ironic because a homosexual cannot exist without a heterosexual. Right. right? <laughs> that is true. Um, Roger, how about you? I was actually going a different direction, and I may have misunderstood the question, but I was going to say a pretension which sets itself up against the knowledge of God would be pretending that without hearing the gospel from a person, one doesn't have knowledge of God so that they're not responsible unless someone tells them the gospel. Right. In other words, we don't have scripture written on our hearts. So, yeah, the old argument that, you know, what do you do with the man in the bush who's never had the gospel presented to him, right? 
Scripture is actually pretty clear about that because we're not held responsible, remember, for failing to know about Jesus Christ. We're, we're held responsible for denying knowledge of God, which Scripture tells us everyone has knowledge of God, right? Um, it is the rebellion against knowledge of God which makes us liable. Jesus comes to redeem us from that, mm-hmm. right? But yes, this, as Roger said, this one of the pretensions that it's a subtle pretension because it it exists under, through, and around everything else, um, every other sin, every other condition of man's heart is wrapped in this pretension that they don't have knowledge. And as we've talked about in prior episodes, everyone has knowledge in the sense that everyone operates according to God's order. Our very conversation this day does not make sense outside of a Christian worldview. You, I could ask Alex a question, and he could say, "Billy bop, bloop, purple elephants, grass, upside down, squitchy," and like no that. one could say, any anyone who claims that there is no God, you could not say that that was illogical or an inappropriate response. Well, that's probably what's going on in his mind anyway. <laughs> I was going to say it'd be like that one scene in Dumbo when he gets drunk. <laughs> Another example would be the law of non-contradiction. We've joked about the old saying, my truck is in the parking lot and my truck is also not in the parking lot. Well, believer or unbeliever would tell you that's a non-logical statement to make. You contradict yourself. You can't do those things. Well, why? Why can't we do those things? Why do we all operate and have this? It's, it's an unargued presumption, right? People don't argue and say, no, wait a second. You can't contradict yourself about that kind of thing. Everybody assumes that. But why do they assume it outside of a Christian worldview, right? We've delved into that in prior episodes, so I won't go any deeper with that part today, except that is, as Roger was pointing out, one of the pretensions that sets itself up against knowledge of God. But there's one ultimate point where all of this is leading. What is the ultimate pretension that sets itself up against knowledge of God today and in all times? We need our TikTok. I'm really not a fan of this thing. That things of this world can fulfill the void that you have with God? Well, Alex already said that one. Right. So that that's not the one I was leading to. There's something more ultimate. That we, are, man's... that we are our own God? Yes. Right? The ultimate sin is pride, right? That man is the center of the universe and that man is the measure of all things. And this has many manifestations, one of which is... If I don't understand it, then how could it be true? And if someone can't explain it to me in a way that is acceptable to my mind, and I don't therefore believe it, then it must not be true. Or they will they will deconstruct that to, well, not true for me, which of course is a bastardization of the language because truth is not truth becomes opinion at that point, right? But ultimately, the main pretension that sets itself up against knowledge of God is it not that man is ultimate. All right, so why do you think Paul did not advise to demolish arguments against God, but rather against knowledge of God? Why was he so specific to include the word knowledge, and why is that subtle difference so important to understanding Paul's admonition here? We need the clock again. (laughs) Yes, we do. I think you're right. This doesn't help me think. (laughs) It doesn't, but it's funny. A lot of people base their 
justifications for why they're living how they're living on faulty thinking. They say, oh, but I know these things. I know these few things that are based on fact but are ultimately corrupt because they are based on faulty thinking. So they think, oh, I've got knowledge, so therefore I'm wise in what I'm doing, and it justifies their actions. So Okay, so why do you think Paul doesn't talk about demolishing arguments against God but specifically says against knowledge of God? And what is that? What is that difference? Why is it so important to understanding Paul's admonition? Um, because we all have knowledge of God. Prove it. Well, like you said earlier, if Alex were to say "purple elephants, upside down grass, gobbledygook," it it wouldn't make sense. And unless you're crazy, unless you are a crazy person, everyone in the room would say, "What are you talking about?" So just these general laws of logic, which everyone operates by, they prove that we all follow some order that's greater than all of us. And so if you're not a Christian, you have to come up with an explanation of where that order comes from, right? Exactly. And I would beg anyone to give me someone other than a believer who just says, oh, that's just how things are, right? You can follow any philosophy, any worldview, and other than the Christian worldview, they will they will just assume the laws of logic. They will assume the laws of nature and say, this is how nature operates, but they won't give an answer as to why nature operates that way, right? So this is, again, the knowledge of God is is not only available to everybody, it is inescapable, right? As the scriptures say, um, people suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. In fact, if he, if he were not God, then you could understand why there might be some confusion, but if he is God and if he is... he is who he says he is, how could he make a mistake and, and leave Alex out of the equation, right? I'm going to make myself known to everyone except Alex, or I'm going to make myself known to everyone except this person who lives in a far-off country, right, That who, who never received a Bible. Or again, Scripture doesn't say we are judged for not reading the Bible and judged for not knowing Christ. Christ is our Redeemer. Scripture says we are judged for rebelling against knowledge of God, right? Pretending that God doesn't exist or that he didn't create us. All right, so what does it mean then to take captive every thought all play? So in the Bible, there is a a part of it when Peter said to Jesus, I don't remember exactly what the whole engagement was. I need to read it again. But he says something to Jesus, and Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. And I would say that that is what we need to do with our thoughts, where we need to be able to recognize Satan when he's trying to speak to us in our heads and trying to tempt us. And we need to see when he's trying to do that and banish those thoughts and say, get behind my Satan, get out of... Okay, but I'll be critical of your thinking, not critical of you. He doesn't say banish every thought, does he? No. Paul says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ, right? So what is... What are other instances where we hear the word captive? What do you think of when you when you talk about the word captive or being taken captive? Like prisoners of war. Okay. Know, like capture the enemy, capture the flag. Okay. So capture the enemy, oh, capture you. the flag. So are these passive are these passive activities? That's kind of an oxymoron, right? Yeah. Is it passive to take something captive? No. Mm-mm. Is it uh, slow and meandering and a long drawn out thoughtful process not really i mean you might think about it beforehand and plan right, but when but, you're doing it it just kind of but when happens. it's time to do it 
you gotta you do it. Yeah, right? like in, if you're playing capture the flag, you can't just slowly walk across the line and go take the flag. You have to either sneak around back, or at least you have to run. Well, if you're a double agent, you could. That's true. <laughs> so, so taking something captive implies, does it not? Quick, decisive, forceful, right? So now apply that to thought. Then why does he say take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ? Why does he use such forceful, militaristic? Does he mean like terms? don't let your thoughts run away? Okay, could absolutely mean that. And what kind of thoughts is he talking about? There are categories of thoughts, right? So when he says take captive every thought, is he just talking about the content of our thoughts? Or maybe how we think them. How you think them. It, it isn't one or the other. He absolutely does include the content of your thinking, take captive every thought. So if you have a bad thought, a sinful thought about someone or about something, that's one thing, that's one category that Paul would be talking about. But when he says, take captive every thought, is he not also talking about not just the substance of our thoughts, but the very basis upon which we do our thinking? Colossians 2, 20 through 23. Anybody remember that from class? Since you died with Christ, the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Right? These things which are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. His point in that is that we're not even to adopt the manner of thinking of the world. So when you take captive every thought, we're not just talking about the substance, although that is part of it. We're talking about the very basis upon which we think. What does Romans 12, 2 say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools... No, that's, that's, that's Proverbs 1, 7. Shoot. Um, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's right. So if we're not conforming any longer to the patterns of this world, being renewed by transforming our minds is, a, is talking about the process, right? Not just the content of our mind, but how we think. And the foundation of our thinking as Christians is to be based on the word, Right. That's the beginning. So it's it's more than and we said when he says every thought, he's talking about more than just the content of our thought, but the very basis, the premises of our thinking. All right. Bonus question. Let's get the Gohorn ready just in case somebody gets this question. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know about that one. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna give you a little bit of give you a little bit of inspiration. Oh now look, I had this these icebergs and um Titanics have now melted into They're melting like <laughs> snowflakes. Well, it's they interesting because of... I, I had uh, our producer, Rachel, put two Titanics and two icebergs in here, and now it just looks like two oblong ice cubes <laughs> and two circular <laughs> ice cubes. You can't distinguish them much anymore, and you can't get as much jingle out of them, right? A little bit of water. Now it sounds and like a And worst glass. of all, it messed up my notes. Look at that little ring <gasps> on my notes. Oh, nice. Oh, I gotta... So i got to let that Third dry so it smear. All right, so bonus question with our icebergs. You may have noticed before we entered the offices of hypothesis today that I asked how this scripture passage should be used to assist you in interpreting your experiences. My bonus question is, why did I ask the question in that manner? 
Why didn't I ask, for example, how do you feel about it? Or what do you think this means? Or how does your experience guide your understanding of the scripture? Because to quote Ben Shapiro, the facts don't care about your feelings. Facts because are facts truth and is not change. subjective. It's, truth is not an opinion. Okay, but you're doing, as my mother used to say, you're pussyfooting around the issue, right? Like a kitty cat that won't sit down and sort of like picks the couch and, and turns around and around and just like won't settle down. You're circumspective. <laughs> I'll ask again, why did I ask the question in this manner? Here's, here's the way I asked it. How does this scripture passage or how should this scripture passage be used to assist you in interpreting your experiences? Why didn't I ask you, how do you feel about it? Why do, what do you think it means? Or how does your experience guide your understanding of this scripture? You know, we hear a lot today of people saying, bring my experience to the equation. What's the danger in that approach? It's putting yourself on equal footing with God. You're saying, my experience is just as, just as important as scripture. Instead of saying, scripture should determine my actions. Okay, you're getting very warm. What's that game? Hot and cold? <laughs> okay, you're getting very warm. That's why the ice cubes are melting. But you're not you're not quite like if we're playing baseball, I'd say you've got a hit or maybe a double, mm. but you haven't scored a run yet. Hit the post. Okay, I'll ask it again. Why did I ask the question, how should this scripture passage be used to assist you in interpreting your experiences? Right? That's the question. Why didn't I ask how do you feel about it? What do you think this means, or how does your experience guide your understanding of Scripture? What's the danger in that approach? Because you'd be walking away from the Word of God. True, but that's not the that's not the answer. It's not the target. Hmm. You're on no the no goal horn. If you, yeah, if you're yeah, definitely not a goal horn. <laughs> okay, ouch. Uh, <laughs> well, if you're playing if you're playing darts, you got on the board, but you're on the periphery. So Roger got close when he said. You're putting yourself, I think, on equal footing or something of that nature with God. But it's more than that. Are you trying to make yourself God? Yes. When you interpret something, anything, you always have to have a measurement, right, or a measuring standard. If you weigh a bag of potatoes, you have a scale, right? The scale is ultimate over the potatoes. People, if you step on a scale, right, you're (laughs) you're subjecting yourself to the scale. If you're measuring... Um, the length of something, you're using math, right? If you're, if you're sizing up the size of a room, what are the dimensions of a room? Um, the, the tools that you use to measure the room become ultimate over the room in that sense, right? So what is the danger of saying, how does your experience guide you in understanding the Scripture? How do you feel about it? What is, what's happening between you and the Word of God, if I ask the question in the latter sense? You're making yourself... You're putting yourself above the Word of God. Yeah. You're, you're determining... I just said that. I... You did. I was just helping you re-articulate it, right? You're putting yourself <laughs> in that position, becoming the measuring stick, rather than letting Scripture be the interpretation of all things, right? How, be, and why is that dangerous? By making yourself the, the standard. Because we change. We we're change. Not, we're not consistent. We and... change not only in our own lives, but we change generationally. And we die right. out. Yeah. If, and we are created. We are not the creator. Did we create ourselves? No. 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 Right? So the danger of that approach is it becomes very ephemeral, temporal, right? 
it's subject to change. There's no permanence in it. And there's there's always going to be a debate, and it, it will usually end up in the person who has the most power or influence has the interpretation. And you can get things wrong all the time. If the person who's interpreting the meal that night doesn't like broccoli, right, he may say broccoli is no good for me because he doesn't like it. But that doesn't change the nature or the reality of broccoli, does it? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, and speaking of power, how did we know that uh, communism was going to fail from the very beginning? All the red flags. <laughs> okay, that oh deserves gosh. a goal horn. <laughs> All right. He snuck a goal horn in without uh, – well, you, had, you did answer the bonus question with a lot of hints and direction. But I'll give you the goal horn for that joke. Thank you very much. I, I understand that Alex, by the way, is also a jokester. Any jokes for us before we uh, – Move on to listener questions. <clears throat> yes. Sometimes I look back over my career and I think about all the people I lost along the way and I think, oh man, I should not have been a tour guide. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Also, but no, uh, no goal horn for that one. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, no goal horn for that. I do have not one. even a, not even a, maybe we'll give him this, then we'll go. When we return, we'll take questions from our listeners. This is Jesus and the Meteorologist. So I wrote a little book all the way back in 2009 to address what was happening in America and what was likely to happen if we did not take corrective action. Unfortunately, too many of my predictions are coming true. The only surprise is the speed at which we have reached the precipice. The title of that little book is The Experts, and you can buy it on our webpage. Just go to JesusAndTheMeteorologist.com, click the image of the little brown book, and we'll send it to you for only $9.99. And then be sure to let me know what you think. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Kukaji, and I'm your host. If you have any questions from this week's program that you would like us to address in next week's episode, please submit those questions to questions at icebergsnotsnowflakes.com. And I'll spell that again, I-C-E-B-E-R-G-S-N-O-T-S-N-O-W-F-L-A-K-E-S.com, icebergsnotsnowflakes.com. I will endeavor to choose one or two of those questions to answer in a future episode. So this week, a question from one of our listeners is, wrote it down here so I can look at it, put on the old spectacles. All right. Would you say that since our thoughts at their base, at their base level, are sinful, that this is why God has to take our thoughts captive? Um, first of all, I'm going to give that, not a goal horn, but I'm going to give that a nice healthy, or I believe we have one of those that's, there we go. I think that's a good question. So our listener gets credit for that. Um, Because it brings up a a new angle on this, um, God having to take our thoughts captive, since all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, right? 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 then Paul saying that we are to take captive our thoughts, every thought, right, and make it obedient to God is indirectly a form of God taking captive the thoughts of those whom he loves and have chosen for belief, right? So 
That's a great question, and I, I would agree. I would concur, so I'm going to give that another ding-a-ling to whoever that questioner is out there. We won't tell the questioner's names at this point. We have such a small audience of probably 12 or 13 people out there who are forced to listen to this by their families for homeschool purposes. And what other. an unlucky number. <laughs> as you might imagine, we're just beginning still to tickle this topic of pretending as consequences. Next week, we're actually going to address a phenomenon I have observed in our day, something I like to call courage in a bubble or Superman on a couch. And maybe at some point, we'll finally be able to introduce our little straw man. I've been looking for an opportunity to introduce our straw man. Even if today, talking about our straw man, he has no point other than to say, one day, little guy, we're going to talk about you. I'm holding <laughs> our straw man in the studio. I'm not going to tell you anything about him other than he'll be introduced in a future episode. He's been waiting in my briefcase since episode number one. That's all the time we have today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again to our icebergs, our producer, Rachel, and to all of our listeners and supporters. In the never-ending battle for hearts and minds, we aim to find and develop young men and women who, like the men of Issachar, understand the times and who know what to do. And how can we know what to do unless we believe what is true? My name is Kevin Cookagee, and you've been listening to Jesus and the Meteorologist.